All right. Welcome to Peck Report yet again. Hope you are doing well. So yesterday we kind of talked about some heavy subjects. Today we're probably going to be a little bit lighter because you're all stuck at home. We're stuck at home. And hey, quarantining quarantining isn't so bad uh, when you get to do it with one of your best friends. It kind of worked out well. Uh, Steve is here. I'll introduce him in a minute. But he, he's here for a film project uh, that, that I'm, I'm working on with Defender Films. And it just, it just so happened that the day that you flew here, here, Trump like closed the Canadian border and said there's no flying in or out, but he, he's able to go back. So, uh, so I guess that 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 worked out okay. So we're we're kind of uh, quarantining here for a little bit, but a lot of you guys are stuck at home uh, quarantining as well. And uh, so we wanted to do another video for you guys, so you got something to watch, something to do, and <laughs> we hope that you're uh, keeping entertaining, using this time to you know spend with your family because you don't have a choice, so you may as well, right? Stephen Bancars, my co-author for Second Coming of the new age how are you doing good it's good to be here i was th- i was kind of hoping that i would get quarantined here yeah <laughs> but they're still sending flights out back to canada if you're a canadian citizen if you got to be quarantined you know anywhere in the world you'd want it to be america rather than uh canada yeah. i would imagine yeah and this is a pretty safe uh you know city or town mm-hmm. you know very small population yeah kinda. In the middle of nowhere, yep. it's basically <laughs> one big quarantine. Yeah, so, <laughs> just by nature, just yeah. all the time, yeah. it is like that. What what is quarantining like in Canada? I can't imagine that. Is it like more oppressive, or like what do they do? Is it kind I'm of not, the same as here? I'm or? not really sure. When I get home, they're going to tell me that uh, I should be spending at least two weeks mm-hmm. self quarantined. So my parents are preparing the basement with like a, a microwave and like a mini fridge, and <laughs> I get the whole basement to myself and my brother's moving upstairs and so i don't know um yeah there's another case like about 25 minutes away from my hometown a girl who was 20 years old just contracted it so yeah there's been three deaths in ontario in my province from it oh geez um but once again they're people who are much older who have Mm -hmm. pre-existing medical conditions yeah so yeah, well, that, and that's one of the things too that a lot of people have found comfort in. And we we just did a Peck report. I think I think by the time of this airing, it we did it last week that there's now new reports saying even young people are getting it and dying from it. And um and maybe maybe they all have pre existing conditions and maybe not. But uh, the the article wasn't super specific about it. But it it sounds like a re- like for for those who die from it, it's a really nasty disease and like a really nasty death. So mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 the First thing we have to do is quarantine for a little while to not catch the disease. I, I think that's a good a good trade off. And of course, we we want to keep everybody in prayer uh, who's who's uh, suffering from the disease or who have lost anybody due to the, due to coronavirus, the Chinese coronavirus. Uh, we want to pray for all, all all of all of them people. But um, and we want to yeah, make sure we hug a Chinese. Yeah, hug a Chinese like they do in Italy. Well, that brings up a good point too because with the coronavirus thing, a lot of people are pointing to Italy and saying. Uh, you know their numbers are so much bigger. You know we're we're only two weeks behind them, and which is true. We you know here in America we're about two weeks behind Italy, uh, but. Italy, and I just found out about this. Uh, Italy has a lot of these weird social campaigning things that we don't have here. They're 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 not they're not practicing good hygiene. Like they had this this social movement to prove that they're not racist because they're so worried about anybody thinking that they're racist. They'll literally risk their lives and other people's lives for it. That they had the hug a Chinese campaign. Right. Hashtag hug a Chinese. A Chinese. That's what they're calling them. <laughs> As if that is the antidote for racism. I know. <laughs> I'm so not racist. I'm willing to risk my life and your life. Come here, Chinese. Yeah. 
Yeah. What what would you call him? I mean, I, I guess you, you can't really a Chinese call him, person. Yeah, just a Chinese person, right? Yeah. Hug a Chinese person, not as snappy of a hashtag, I guess. Hug a Chinese, because then you're <laughs> reducing their identity to their <laughs> to the race nationality, yeah. which is part of what they're trying to solve. Their nationality, yeah, and that that's actually a more accurate term because technically Chinese isn't a race, but but yeah, so, yeah, they're <laughs> they're like re- reducing their their whole their whole identity to that one attribute, and yeah. it's like who who's the racist here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah, um, a lot of people are stuck at home. A lot of people are – and it's weird because I've been seeing like two extremes with this – this all, all of this coronavirus stuff. There's the extreme that is like freaking out, buying all the toilet paper, just going nuts and thinking this is the end of the world. They're, they're preparing for the apocalypse. But then there's the other extreme, uh, and this one I think is kind of more horrifying uh, actually. I'd rather somebody be overprepared than underprepared. But there, there's the other extreme of people just scoffing at the whole thing saying, ah, it's all made up this is this isn't any big deal this you know it's fine we're gonna live our lives and do whatever we want i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go outside if i want to and i understand the sentiment you know nobody likes the government especially americans like no one likes the government telling us what to do right um but at the same time what are they really asking of us And, and i know that there are people in the government that are trying to use this catastrophe to try to uh take our take some of our rights away but merely if it if merely the government just asking please stay at home because we don't want to spread this disease and we want to get through this as quickly as possible. I don't see any harm in that. I think that's just good, solid advice. You know, yeah. and I, I've advised my audience to do it. Worst case scenario, if I'm wrong, if the, if, if the disease really is made up or there's no disease or it's not as bad as they say, well, you get a couple of weeks that you get to spend at home with your family and, you know, a lot of businesses are closing down anyway. So that's not really going to change anything. What's really the harm now if the other person is wrong who says, no, go live your life, do what you want, go outside. If they're wrong, they they could die from that. I mean, you, you could you could catch the disease and depending your your age and your physical health, you could die a pretty horrific death uh, if that person is wrong. So I, I like to err on the side of caution. But what, what have you noticed with this this whole thing, just people's attitudes and just how quickly this has uh, progressed? I don't know. I think that our, our bedrock of comfort mm-hmm. – um, our security blanket, if you will, mm. needs to be the content of Scripture, the Absolutely. Word of God, the promises of God, and that needs to ultimately dictate and govern my emotional response to things right. like this. Maybe not necessarily my logistical response, because mm-hmm. I believe in full preparation. Yeah. Um, I'm sanitizing my hands like crazy when I'm oh, here. Oh, me just, too. I'm, I'm fine with getting into good habits and being prepared and stuff like that, but yeah. um, my emotions should never match what's going on in the natural because mm-hmm. my emotions should be rooted in the promises of scripture which tell me that to be away from the body is to be present with the lord mm-hmm. that god works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose mm-hmm. that i have an eternity in the presence of god to look forward to right right and all throughout scripture you see Jesus talking about the gospel of the kingdom, Paul always talking about the hope that is to be revealed, and, you know, Romans 8.18, our present sufferings are nothing compared to to the glory that is to be revealed, and um, there's an interesting near-death experience, not near-death experience, but the death of someone named St. Augustine, I'm sure we've heard of him, he's an early church father, Um, my my Christian psychotherapist actually told me this story, Mm -hmm. he was saying that St. Augustine had some very beautiful writings, um, 
and very prominent Christian, very influential Christian. He was on his deathbed and he was surrounded by pastors and he took his last breath and um, the people said that they felt the presence of the Lord in the room and he came back and he said one last sentence before he finally passed on. And the sentence he said was, I have just beheld the glory of the Lord and all things I have, but all things that I have written are but straw in comparison. Wow. <laughs> so the best thing you can produce in your Christian life on this side of heaven are but straw and compared to what we're going to experience um, in an eternal state with Christ. It's unimaginable. Right. So that needs to be our source of comfort, you know, setting our minds on the things above and not on things beneath Colossians 3, like being heavenly minded and not being so spiritual that you're just completely ignorant <laughs> right, right. To, to what's going on. And well, I'm indestructible now because God promises <laughs> me this, this, this in Scripture. Well, yeah, and I think part of being properly spiritual is recognizing there is physicality, there is a physical world, it's part of God's creation, and yeah. we do need to know about it and understand kind of how it works just to maneuver right. it, especially because, you know, God gave us commands, he gave us things to do, we're, we're supposed to be spreading the Gospels, making disciples of all nations. Right. Well, you can't do that if you're so ignorant that that uh, you, you, don't, you don't know how to navigate the world, you know? Right. You want to stick around for a while, at least as long as possible, so you can uh, so you can spread the Gospel to other people. You know, the, lo the longer you're around, the more effective you can be uh, for the kingdom, um, provided that that you're you know you're you're operating uh, under under God's guidance and not your own. There's a lot of people that don't do that, and then their their extended life tends to you know be a detriment to humanity. You know, nobody watching, but you know we can all think of like the Hitlers of the world and things. So it's not a blanket statement for all all human beings. Um, but those who are who are trying to walk in in uh, God's guidance and and you know in what He tells us to do, right? So like it, actually, yeah. like stewarding your life, exactly. Right? Yeah. So like applying the wisdom of Proverbs to your life and understanding that you have a family, you have moral obligations, and you know, working and providing for your family and living a life of integrity. Yeah, being responsible. These things glorify God and honor God. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily quote unquote spiritual, but mm -hmm. it's righteous. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And God wants us to, you know, be responsible in the natural. He just does, but. My hope and my peace and my emotions aren't supposed to be dictated by what's going on around me. Right. As the Apostle Paul's weren't, his emotions when he was in prison, for example, and he was in chains, they were always proportionate to the presence of the Lord and the promises of God. Mm -hmm. They were never proportionate to what was going on in his surroundings. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point too, and and you know that, that that's something that I've been talking about on Peck Report the past. You know, I try not to I try not to like oversaturate every Peck Report with uh, coronavirus stuff because you know just eventually people get sick of hearing it. But one of the things that I have been talking a lot about is you know par part of being like a good uh, you know steward of yourself and your family and just is is providing. I mean, Scripture says that you're you're worse than an infidel if you don't take care of your family. Basically, it's a Peck paraphrase, but that's that's, no, that's what it says. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so the, you know the people that are kind of scoffing at this and saying you don't got to do anything, you don't got to change your life, it's fine. Um, man, I would, I personally would not want to take that chance. I wouldn't want to be so prideful that I assume I know better than you know everybody else in the world, and then take that chance of not preparing. Because if you prepare, the worst thing that's going to happen is you don't have to go grocery shopping for a while. You know, no, there's, you're there's, still going to eat the food. <laughs> there's proverbs about preparing for when the drought hits. Exactly, I, I can't remember the proverb, but. You're storing up in advance for when the drought hits. You'll have you'll have something. Yeah, 
Um, so that's, that's just being responsible. And I yeah, and we this. should always be doing that, you know, not not only in response to, you know, some epidemic or, or pandemic or, or whatever's going on, but we should always be prepared for those things. Like Christina and I, we've always had, uh, you know, maybe not not as much as we should have. We we certainly do now. But, um, you know, we've always had kind of a plan in place of, OK, if because if, we, we live in an area that kind of floods. All right. What happens if uh, if if our town, if the main road out of town floods and we can't get to the hospital, we need to get to the hospital. So we make sure that we have supplies here in case something goes wrong uh, where where, you know, we need medical assistance or something like that. We can do it here um, or food. You know, what what if the supply um runs dry people can't get into town because of a flood or usually if it floods here it's only for a couple days but you never know and uh so we we always we've we've always made sure we've had at least like a week or two of of food available i'll tell you what after this though we're definitely going to up up that you know it's not just going to be a week or two we're going to have more food than that stored up um or or you know i've mentioned it before you know i i, I have a rare bone disease i take kratom uh which is just a, a natural herb from uh from east from i forget exactly what thailand or something like that but um it, it helps with pain relief and it doesn't get you stoned out of your mind the way like vicodin or something will which is nice uh not the getting stoned it's nice <laughs> to not get stoned because that's, <laughs> talk about not being spiritual but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, the uh, DEA wanted to ban Kratom. So in preparedness, I bought it as much as I as I could. Uh, and it stays good for a long time, which I'm, I'm recommending people do now. If, you, if you're like me and you take Kratom or CBD or something like that for pain, now would be a good time to stock up if you haven't already, uh, which if you want to, you can do that at dailyrenegade.com. But um, so, yeah, I mean, there 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 is a good principle of just being prepared. It doesn't mean you got to be like a, a crazy doomsday prepper over it but i would rather be like the crazy doomsday prepper than the guy who scoffs at everything and who's gonna end up starving because he doesn't have anything to eat right yeah exactly and i feel like um another thing too is remembering that god is god's on the on the throne he's in control Mm -hmm. and he's sovereign and what that means is that there's literally nothing that comes to pass in our world that surprises god or catches him off guard first of all and second of all that he doesn't a okay mm-hmm. that he doesn't permit. So everything that comes to pass in the natural world, including evils, must first pass through the siphon of God's permissive will, mm-hmm. um, including satanic activity. And Satan can't do anything apart from the sovereign overseership of God. Yeah. Right. So everything is governed and in the hands of God, in the control of God. Why doesn't he intervene with any and all evils? He does sometimes, not mm-hmm. every single one. And some people have speculated about whether or not this is judgment against America. I don't know if we can call that. Right. Um, God does do that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter, mm-hmm. against humanity. But the point is, is that God's in control of our lives, and nothing happens Nothing escapes his sight. Yeah. Nothing happens without God saying, okay, I'm allowing this to happen. And so I project myself into the future. Let's say worst case scenario, mm-hmm. I get contracted with coronavirus. Um, the sequence of events that will happen is I would think to myself, okay, I got the virus, but statistically I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. And then if I started getting really, really sick, I would still say statistically the odds of survival are better than not. Yeah. And that's the case for probably every single person watching this, if yeah. not if not the vast majority. Right? And I'm going to trust just in God and his goodness and his provision for me 
He doesn't. He doesn't promise us to not endure suffering or sickness or illness in this That's life. That's true. That's not promised to us. Mm-hmm. But what is promised is all things working together for our good. Mm-hmm. So that might look like being with the Lord early, mm-hmm. which is definitely for our good. Yeah. Which is what Paul wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. Paul was like, you know, he had this internal battle back in I believe it was First Corinthians, could be Second Corinthians too, where he said that he wanted to depart to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to die. And this was like in 55 AD. This was like, I don't know, eight years or just nine years before his last epistle. Mm-hmm. And he's saying at that point, I want to depart and be with the Lord, but it's better for you that I stay. It's better for the right. church that I stay. So, you know, we die, we go stand before the throne and we, we say, God, why did you allow me to get that sickness? Why did you to allow me to, like, I was trying to take care of my family. I had two kids or three kids or whatever. Why did you allow me to to, to suffer like that. First of all, you're going to spend the first million years or the equivalent <laughs> of a million years just sucking carpet in heaven, yeah. weeping, <laughs> weeping before the throne. And then after that, the next million years, you're going to spend rejoicing. <laughs> and then if after that you still have an outstanding curiosity, mm-hmm. you're going to ask him the question, why did you let the And he's going to tell you the most morally and logically sufficient answer you could possibly imagine of all time. And then you'll be like, okay. He's going to say, you forgot to wash your hands. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it brings up a good point though. I do want to, I do want to ask you, we'll probably have to do this in the members only section, but I I do want to ask how, how do we look at things like that? Uh, Because a lot of people question, you know, have that question about God, you know, if God, if, if God is in control of everything, he's, he's, he's sovereign, he's all powerful. That means that any evil must pass through like his, his permission. Like he, he must give permission in in some sense. That that. doesn't necessarily mean he's actively bringing it to pass. Right. He's just permitting it. Other, right. Other, other factors are the effectual causes. Yeah. But he's just the one overseeing it all and allowing what does or doesn't come. Yeah, and I, I want to get into that, and then also, uh, also in the members only section, I want to I want to ask you about like things like this virus because there's this there's this meme going around, which on the surface is kind of funny, but then when you think about it for more than half a second, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it says uh, you know like basically to the effect something to the effect of. Uh, you know, all all these Christians that believe in, you know, the gift of healing, you know, why aren't any of them going out and healing coronavirus? <laughs> you know, and they think that this is some profound thought. Uh, so I wanted to get your, because you and I both believe in the gift of healing, but we, neither of us are going out there and healing coronavirus. So I want to, I want to talk about that yeah. too, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what the gift of healing is, what it's used for and when it's appropriate. But we are going to do that in the members only section. So uh, everybody viewing for free, if you haven't had a chance to do so, uh, make sure you go to Daily Renegade Get a membership today. It is only $10 a month or $100 a year. I cannot promise it's going to stay that price because since we've been banned from YouTube, we've lost we've lost a lot of viewership. That was our main source of viewership. Uh, but we've lost that now, and I'm, I'm going to stave it off as much as possible, but there might come a time where new memberships, uh, the price will have to go up. It won't be for existing members, so get it now while it's still cheap and your price won't go up. $10 a month or $100 a year, I suggest getting the $100 a year. It's uh, you get two months for free. You only got to pay for it once, and you don't have to think about it for another year. So it's a good deal. Um, and also, while you're there at the website, check the top toolbar or the top of the website. You can see uh, you'll see ads for um, re- really good kratom CBD stuff that we vetted and made sure is actually legit and good. Uh, and also another product that you will go to and you will laugh when you see what it is and why and and that we're not allowed to actually talk about it uh, on on on. Um, 
at least not on the free versions of Peck Report anymore because some of these still go out to social media. We can we can say whatever we want in the members only section. Uh, but you'll, you'll laugh when you see it because it's like such a harmless thing. Why would anybody care to shut down 30 you know, uh, 30 daily renegade videos just because they mentioned this one product, but <laughs> you can get all that there at dailyrenegade.com. I suggest stocking up now because who knows how much longer this stuff is even going to be uh, available. A lot of people are buying it up fast. So go do that now. Uh, and we will call it good there, uh, real quick for people viewing, where can they find you online? And, uh, where's your YouTube channel that yeah. you still have and not have been banned from yet? <laughs> I know because I avoid topics like this. <laughs> I leave it to other people. Yeah, to get banned. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve, uh, YouTube.com slash Stephen Bancars is my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, reasonsforjesus.com is my Christian apologetics website. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will continue this. Uh, we will continue this conversation in the members only section. So members, stay on the line. And everybody else, thank you for joining. Until next time, take care and God bless. All right, members only, thank you so much for being a member. Thank you for sticking with us, especially through these tough times. I'm hoping that it's easier for you with the quarantine stuff. Maybe it gives you more time to be able to watch all the content uh, that we provide. It's it's funny, the the number one complaint, and this, I, this, this is going to sound like a Trumpian thing to say, but it's like totally real. It's going to sound like it's an exaggeration. The number one complaint that we get about Daily Renegade is that it's too much content, that people don't have enough time, uh, they don't have enough hours in the day to actually watch. It. And we've actually had some people cancel memberships because of that. You know, they, they sign up, think it's great, and they realize, oh, I only got about 10 minutes a day. Right. Or, but the reason know. why there's so much content is like just living with you, being in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you are having news stations going almost all day. Yeah. Like I wake up to the sound of news. Yeah. And it's playing <laughs> basically all day. Every yeah. day. So <laughs> he has a constant stream of information. That's how he can be a constant stream of information. I try. Yeah. And I, I get him from varying sources. So I'll, I'll even listen to some people on the left. Like I like Tim Pool a lot. You know, I think he's one of the only reasonable uh, liberals. I don't I don't agree with, you know, a lot of his interpretations of things, but I like I just like to hear what the other side thinks without all the crazy emotional stuff um and it's actually it is actually funny how 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 much in common uh we we people on the right and the reasonable left actually have you know you, there, there are good conversations but but the, you know the, the main reason i do that is because i want to for one thing it interests me but also i want to give everybody out there uh the right information and i'm always honest about my bias i am completely a conservative and a christian so any news you're going to get from me is filtered through that lens uh so i'll be honest about my bias uh, but also you, you know if you, a membership doesn't mean that you have to watch every show we provide a variety of shows knowing that you're not going to watch every show you know maybe Maybe, maybe you you just join up for Peck Report and maybe you don't care for the other shows or maybe you like Gary Wayne's show and you don't care about like more of the new stuff that we do at Peck Report or or maybe you you want maybe maybe you want to listen to some of our female hosts and you don't care about the male perspective. We we give a wide variety of different shows because there's just people with different tastes. But we make sure that all of these shows, all this content is centered around Christ uh, and that we're all honest about our uh, biases. Everybody's got them. If, if somebody says that they are unbiased, they're lying. <laughs> Everybody is biased. There is really no way for a human being to to report on anything without it being filtered through their own subjective uh, lens. So so that but that's why. But it's funny that that's our, our main um, our, our main uh, complaint. But uh, so we, we should probably be a little bit more active in explaining why we provide so much. But uh, hopefully we're giving you your money's worth in each show, even if you are only able to watch one show. But thank you for being a member. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I'm uh, prattling on 
too much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, where we where we left off. Uh, well, let, let's okay. So there were two things that I mentioned. You you, you briefly got into one of them. Um, so you know, all all the evil in the world, and even the stuff that we talked about in the previous uh, Peck report with the, the 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 child abuse and sexual abuse and child sex trafficking and all this stuff. Every bad thing that happens, in in some way, some form, somehow, we might not know exactly how exactly this process is carried out, but in some way, God must allow it or, 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 yeah, or, or he, he, he permits it. So how, and this is a common question from atheists, how can a good God permit these, these horrible, atrocious things and, and allow that to continue when, when people are being, being abused? Yeah, when people ask me that question, mm-hmm. and when I consider that question, how could an all-loving God allow evil to exist? Um, to me, it sounds like Spanish. Like I don't even understand the question, <laughs> right? Because there's no implicit contradiction between those two things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like how could an all-loving father allow his children to play upstairs with trucks? Right. <laughs> it's like. So what, what you want to do is you want to get the atheist to turn it into a, a claim. Yeah. Make a statement because they're not actually asking a question. It's usually um, – They're they're comparing God with their version of what a good God would be. You know, they, they think of a good God as basically only good things ever happen and nothing bad ever right. happens. Right. But get, let's get them to make a, a positive statement. It's, right. It's like what is it you're saying? Like what is it your question is implying? Yeah. Like what is the problem with those two things? So what, what they really mean is an all-loving God would not allow this kind of natural evil yeah. to be present in the world. Mm-hmm. Now – the there's two different sides to this coin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what philosophers will call the logical problem of evil, mm-hmm. and what logicists will call the uh, the probabilistic problem of evil. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third version, which is really what most people are are touching on, which is the emotional problem of evil. Right. So the logical problem of evil would be that the presence of moral and natural evil is logically incompatible with an all loving, all powerful God, mm-hmm. and in in which case, you, you, that's a big burden of proof to, to shoulder. Yeah. The Christian can counteract that and defeat that by simply inserting one additional premise, that God has morally sufficient reasons mm-hmm. for allowing and per- permitting moral and natural evil to take place, mm-hmm. as long as that's even possible. As long as, as, as it's even – as long as that it's even possible mm-hmm. that God could have a morally sufficient reason for allowing this to take place, the presence of evil – and an all-loving, all-powerful God are not logically incompatible. Right. So, and of course it's possible. Mm-hmm. How could you show that's impossible? You can't. Yeah. Okay, so let's get the logical problem out of the way. Yeah. The other problem would be, well, okay, it's not logically incompatible. The two aren't logically compatible, but it's highly unlikely mm-hmm. that an all-loving, all-powerful God would exist and then allow this amount of evil and suffering in the world. In which case, there's a variety of answers we can say in response to that. The first would probably be, we have to understand what God's overarching plan for humanity is. Yeah. It's not happiness in this life. Mm-hmm. It's not to create a, a, just a, a nice, comfortable nest. I don't mean to be like, um, you know, uh, downplay how severe some of the evil is, but well, that's, sure. yeah, that's, yeah. that's not his goal in this life is just right. to take care of us. It's for his cosmic pets because this life is not all there is. Yeah. His goal in the world is to draw as many people as he optimally can mm-hmm. into a free loving relationship with himself. Right. So let's start with that. So God's goal is not happiness in this life. 
it's salvation mm -hmm. for an optimal amount of people. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it's the case that only in such a world where precisely this amount of natural and moral evil is present, mm -hmm. that the optimal or maximal amount of people would freely come into a loving relationship and salvific right. relationship with God. Well, yeah, because it all centers around free will. I mean, without free will, we could not make the choice. And, and if, it, if it is truly love, that's got to be through choice. You can't force somebody to love you, and God's not going to force us to love him. But uh, if we truly want to be reconciled, we have to have free will. But what comes along with free will is that some people are going to abuse free will, and that must be allowed for free will to even exist for us to be reconciled to, to God and have any kind of real relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, we're not automatons so right. people are going to abuse that free will right they will abuse the free will mm -hmm. and it's perhaps it's the case that only in a world with just this precise amount mm -hmm. of natural evil and moral evil would the maximal amount of people enter into a salvific relationship with god that so, brings up yeah that's actually yeah. a really good point because it, it, say in a world where let's say and i don't think i don't think you know atheists typically um making this argument think about it this way. How do we know that God hasn't prevented other evils that are way worse than what we can imagine? Like, how do we, how do we know that? Say, say there was a world, say we, you know, there's this world, uh, but God took care of half of the evil for us, half of it. Well, we would have no knowledge of that half. So whatever knowledge of the half of evil that we did know about, we would think, we would we would put that in gradation and say, okay, at this point, this is the worst evil. Let's say it's, I don't know, getting punched in the face by somebody. Maybe that's as evil as it gets in that world. We would feel about that level of evil the, the same way that we would feel about like the real, you know, worst level of evil today. Let's say like like a uh, child sex trafficking or something. That's about the worst thing I can think of. In a world where the worst thing that happens to you, the worst thing that happens to anybody is getting punched in the face, that would be ultimate evil. And we would be asking the same question. We would still be asking, why would God allow me to get hit in the face? That hurts. And, you know, God would be up there because we would have no knowledge of the other stuff. So I'm sure God would probably think, well, you have no idea how bad it can get. You know, I don't think we know how bad it can get. So what if, and so then those people are asking that, you know, God, why don't you take care of that? So God says, okay, he takes care of being punched, punched in the face. You can't get punched in the face. Now the worst thing that happens to you is you get a paper cut. Very minimal, but in a world where the worst thing that happens to you is right. you get a paper cut, it's still painful, you still bleed, it's still unpleasant, right. and you have all of this other um, you know, good, good stuff, joy and, and happiness, where a paper cut would interrupt it so much that it, it would give you PTSD, you would crumble, it would just be unimaginable. So still that same question exists. You know, mm -hmm. That same question would be there, God, why would you allow this? God would have to be a total a, a totalitarian to, to to get rid of you would have to get rid of all free will you'd have to get rid of human accidents you know like right. paper cuts that's a mistake you would have to get rid you god would have to get rid of all of that all freedom of choice would have to be done away right. with and you'd also have to get rid of a lot of the well you know kind of a, a natural right that all living creatures have a right to compete for their own survival yeah that would that would all have to be gone bacteria, and, bacteria included yeah yeah i mean that's what a lot of infections are they're right. ultimately some form of living microscopic organism yep and are we saying so i guess that to, to to kind of recap what you just said i agree with that it's a really good point i never heard a phrase that well, way. well I'll, I'll just 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 yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. it'll take me two seconds sure. to finish it but sure. but um uh so in order for human beings to not ask that question to not mm -hmm. have that question you, you know why would god allow this 
God would have to be a complete totalitarian in the natural world and we would have no free choice and we would be incapable of even having that thought because we wouldn't have the choice to have that thought, to question right. it. So uh, so instead, there must be free will. In order for us to have a, a perfect existence in the next life, we have to choose that. We have to have the choice for that. Then God will take care of everything. If he did it now, uh, we, would, we wouldn't even be able to appreciate it because we wouldn't have any any choice but that. But because we're given the choice, even though some people abuse that choice and, and people do terrible things, and it, it is a it is a dark world in many ways. Uh but but through that, any one person can come through that, can get saved, can be reconciled to God if they choose. And they can have this eternity of, of bliss and perfection without God needing to be a totalitarian about it, you know, without right. needing to strip away people's free will and basically their consciousness, because they would just be robots at, at, at that point. So I, I think that I think that is is. Part, part part of it is we don't know if there's other ho- more horrible evils that we can't imagine because we can't imagine them that could be but but even if not what what would god have to do in order to not allow evil to happen that's right it, w- it would take away all of our and free that, will and, and it that, would be worse and that's a good question to ask them yeah. it's like okay well what what are you proposing what alternative model are you proposing yeah you're proposing a model in which it's impossible to move my hand in this direction. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to think of violent or negative thoughts. Yep. It's impossible. In any capacity. I mean, it, it, any nothing capacity. but purely, purely holy thoughts. Purely holy thoughts by virtue of hard determinism. Exactly. But not, a, by, not by virtue of us having a sanctified free will. Right. But by virtue of us being forced. Incapable and forced. Yeah. Forced to think that way through hard determinism. So what is worse? A world where there's no free will there's no love there's mm-hmm. no authentic choices mm-hmm. there's no freedom or a world where there is freedom that we happen to misuse sometimes exactly right and that's a good alternative that's a good question to ask them when it comes to the probabilistic problem of evil yeah like what is that what, what model are you proposing and is it not the case that it's more evil that mm-hmm. model that you're proposing is more evil than a world where we have perfect freedom and we happen to misuse it. So that yeah, and then I that also, would truly be an evil god that that would take that that model. Right. Yeah. So we talked with the first answer. I'm sorry. What was the first answer I gave of, of the for the probabilistic problem of evil? It was. Oh, and that, then the next one was the emotional uh, problem. Oh, right. Yeah. So it comes down to so first of all, what's God's overarching plan for humanity? Right. That's when people say, well, it's highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. Like the logical problem, it's like, well, if he has morally permissible reasons, argument done. Yeah. Right. And you mm-hmm. can't. As long as it's even possible, you'd have to show it's impossible. Yeah. As long as it's possible, that argument's done. So that, that's a dead issue in philosophy. Yeah. It is. Now, the probabilistic problem, okay, what's God's overarching plan for humanity? Um, a greater evil would be a world in which there is no freedom, including the freedom that results in evil. Yep. Um, I would also want to say that we are not in a position – this is not a, an argument for God working in mysterious ways. This is an argument that we are not – Quali- it's outside of our pay grade mm-hmm. as creatures who are temporally limited, spatially limited, historically limited, cognitive- cognitively limited. Mm-hmm. We have a three-pound brain. Mm-hmm. The atheists themselves would want to say we're relatively evolved primates mm-hmm. and that our, our brain evolved for the purpose of survival, not philosophical truth. Right. Even if you take a Christian approach, you know, God's God's ways are higher than I, our ways. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean some mysterious, airy-fairy thing. It just <laughs> means we are not cognitively equipped to have the kind of answers we would need to have to make the claim that these two things are probably incompatible. Right. 
that's like, how can you even begin to say that? Like, I think part of that is a blessing because the atheist might say, well, why did God curse us like that? Why didn't he make us smarter or make us know more? Well, think about what happened to the angels. They, they've, they've stood face to face with God. They're in God's presence. And when they fell, there's no redemption plan. Right. No redemption plan because they, they've been, they know more, you know, than we do. I, I think part of that separation is kind of a blessing for us because it allows us to have some sort of uh, redemption where we don't have to suffer the same perfect justice that's going to be brought up against the angels if we put our trust and faith in Jesus, of course. If we don't, then we're in the same boat as they are. Uh, but so being limited isn't a curse, and, and it's not forever either. I, I think it, it's it's necessary, just, just like there's things that you wouldn't want to tell your kid because they're too young to handle right, it. Right. Uh, like Jesus says, there's lots to want to tell you to his disciples, but you cannot bear to hear it now. Exactly. You know, Or when Paul has a vision in the third heaven, um, or the Apostle John even has a revelatory vision in Revelation. He says there's things that we cannot utter, we cannot disclose. Yes. Um, and there's answers we wouldn't be able to handle. Yep. And we couldn't handle that we would mismanage. So, But the point is, is that like we aren't in a place mm-hmm. to say what an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent God would probably would or probably wouldn't do or allow exactly from an eternal perspective like that's outside of our pay grade that's Mm -hmm. something i would want to say as well we're just we're cognitively spatially historically temporally limited we can't do it yeah geographically limited in space and time even we're one tiny spec we don't know yeah so we can't go there that you you can't justify that kind of you're going to get a more rational answer asking a four-year-old what uh what his mom or dad should allow him to do than you're going to get you're going to get a more rational answer from that you know i should be able to eat candy all the time uh than you will from a a fully functioning adult you know trying to answer for god what god should allow and shouldn't allow right and i think that uh, a fourth answer to the probabilistic Mm -hmm. problem of evil um, we touched the first three. The first would be God's overarching plan for humanity. The second one would be the the prospect of a world where there is no possibility of that kind of evil is a much more evil world mm-hmm. than one where there's freedom with the capacity for evil. Uh, the third one is we're cognitively sp- – we're not it's outside of our pay grade as human creatures. Mm-hmm. And the fourth would be God does intervene. Mm-hmm in certain instances in human history against human evil. Mm-hmm. And then pe- atheists get upset about it and call him a moral monster. Yeah. So I like to turn it back on the atheist and say, um, okay, well, you're going to, on, on out of one side of your mouth, you're mm-hmm. going to say, if God was all loving, he would stop evil from happening. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of your mouth, you're going to say, when God intervened and stopped evil from happening in the Old Testament, it was wrong. Yeah. So when God sends his people to judge a nation yeah, because they're killing children and mm-hmm. practicing bestiality and mm-hmm. sacrificing their children to other gods. And God gives them 400 years to repent and they don't. And then he sends the Israelites as a judgment upon them to slaughter them mm-hmm. and wipe out the entire culture, every trace of them, including women and children. Mm-hmm. There's also a genetic argument as well. We could talk about, right? Yeah. About, about maybe yeah, connection Nephilim. with Genesis six and stuff like that. Right. Not all of them might not, they might not have been actual humans in the way that we think of it, but right. Yeah. Right. But even, let's say they were for the sake of argument. Yeah. Um, a culture that is just to the bone evil mm-hmm. and those traditions and cultures would have passed down from generation to generation. They just wipe the culture basically extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way to solve evil. Mm-hmm. Right? Why didn't God stop it? Well, He did stop it. Yeah. Right. That's a, what God did in the Old Testament is precisely what the atheist wants to say. God would have done during the time of the Holocaust. 
Yeah. God would have went in there and just dropped every Nazi dead <laughs> if he was an all-loving God. Well, he did, he did that in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and you call him a moral monster for it. Yeah. The difference is we don't have documentation of every precise kind of evil they practiced. Exactly, that and we, we don't know how far it would have gone had he not done that. So like with the Nazi argument, what, what, if, what if God did that on day one of, of Nazism? You know, day, day one that Hitler comes into power, the first day before, before Hitler even has a chance to do anything, right. and God just wipes them all out. Right. The atheists are, and and maybe you know maybe even other people would look at God as a moral monster. Right? God, you know what did they do? Uh, That's prejudgment, exactly. Because you know? they would have no knowledge of the evils they were about to commit. Right. So God, let's say God kills Hitler in his mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And it's a miscarriage. Right. Why would an evil God allow a miscarriage <laughs> to happen? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe he's intervening with evil. So like, mm-hmm. and one more thing I would want to say about that. So we looked at the first, I think, three arguments. I think yeah. that was a fourth, a fifth argument. Mm-hmm. Um, a fifth argument, yeah, because we're still on the probabilistic side of evil. Yep. Um, when people talk about an all-loving God wouldn't allow evil, or why would an all-loving God permit such kinds of evil that's uh, something an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God probably wouldn't allow. Mm-hmm. It's highly unlikely that such a God exists given the amount of evil we see in the world. In my opinion, the strongest argument we have for the existence of God is the presence of moral evil. Yeah. The moral argument for God is one of the most powerful arguments for the existence of God. It goes as follows. Premise one, if God did not exist, objective moral values and duties would not exist. Right. Premise two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Mm -hmm. Therefore... God exists. Mm-hmm. So let's look at premise one, for example. So if, it's like it's like instead of looking at all the evil, you're looking at the good. Like instead of asking why is there evil, you're kind of asking, well, well why is there good? You know, not necessarily why is there good. Okay, but it would be something different. You could ask that too. Mm-hmm. But it would be the fact that we can have an objective standard by which to measure any action. Oh, right. As being good or evil. That even spans across different cultures. That and, spans across yeah. different cultures. Um, points to there being some kind of universal, unchanging, timeless set of moral values and duties that are independent and binding, Mm -hmm. irrespective of people's opinions about them. Right. So an atheist would want to say, yes, torturing and killing an innocent child is wrong. Mm -hmm. I I agree with you 100%. I would ask them, how do you know that? They would mm-hmm. probably say, well, through experience. It's obvious. I would say, I agree with you. We know that through experience. Just like I know this cup exists mm-hmm. through experience. I have an apprehension of the physical world mm-hmm. by my direct experience. I have an apprehension of the moral realm, the moral world by my immediate experience of it. It's just as real, and therefore I think I'm just as justified in believing it as as, as this cup exists. right? And they would say, yes, we come to know morality through experience. Okay. Now – what def- what what constitutes good or evil? We would have disagreements with atheists. We would agree on a lot. We would disagree on some. That the question we need to be asking is, what is their foundation in reality? Right on atheism. What is their what is their anchor point? What is their pipeline mm-hmm. in reality? See, an atheist can believe in morality and he can live a relatively moral life, but he can't justify morality right without the existence of god because if you take out god if if god does not exist objective moral values and duties do not exist meaning 
if you take out God, you have no anchor point in reality for a set of universal, timeless, objective moral values that are binding and relevant, irrespective of people's opinions on them. Mm-hmm. The only place you can point is the natural world yeah. to give you your ontological foundation and anchor point right. for moral values and duties. What is their basis in reality? They would have to say it's either a survival mechanism we develop through the process of evolution, mm-hmm. in which case even Darwin himself admitted if we were put under different environmental pressures similar to those that our honeybees mm-hmm. are put under, we would see it as our, our divine duty to kill our mothers mm-hmm. and eat our brothers. Our moral system could have evolved completely differently mm-hmm. depending on our evolutionary history. Right. In which case, it's not objective. It's not timeless or binding. It's just a, a spinoff of biological evolution. It's a, a I scratch your back, you scratch my back herd mentality yeah. that has to do with increasing my chances of survival in the next moment it has nothing to do with any kind of moral realm. But the point is, is you point to – if they point to biology – Mm-hmm. And evolution as the basis in reality for morality, you say, well, first of all, they could have evolved differently under different sets and circumstances, mm-hmm. different environmental pressures. Even Darwin himself admitted that. Um, another thing you would say in response is, well, if I choose to go against my biological conditioning, why call that evil? Right. Why call that wrong? At most, you could say it's taboo. Mm-hmm. But me choosing to kill someone versus not kill someone on a purely mechanical level on a purely molecular level, mm-hmm. is ultimately nothing different than a tree growing a branch in the left direction compared to the right direction. Right. If I choose to – so part of my ingrained biological genetic predisposition is to have eyebrows. Mm-hmm. If I choose to shave off my eyebrows, is that a moral evil? Right. <laughs> if I choose to cut my hair mm-hmm. or shave my hair, or if I choose to crawl around on my knees, that's just what I feel like crawl. I'm going against my biology, mm-hmm. how I evolved. I'm defying my biological predispositions. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can call it taboo mm-hmm. and weird. You can't call it evil. Right. So the the idea that morality is rooted in biology is futile. And another thing that you would want to say if they point, uh, or sorry, the only other option on the table if it's not biology, it's social agreement, mm-hmm. social contract theory, contractarianism where we just kind of get together and agree upon as a culture what constitutes good and what constitutes evil, in which case, I mean, you would not be able to say that a culture such as Nazi Germany has any less of a moral... Because then uh, it's just majority rules at that point. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. What does the majority think and come to agree upon? Mm -hmm. If you you have a world that's about 3 million sociopaths in America at the moment, Mm -hmm. if you imagine like a moral landscape that's occupied exclusively by sociopaths, Mm -hmm. and they come together and formulate a moral system, you would have to say that moral system is morally equivalent to ours. Yeah. You can't say it's either better or worse in a moral sense than anyone else's. If Nazi Germany took over all of Europe, Mm -hmm. took over all the world, you would not be able to say your moral system is any more or less superior to theirs. And obviously, um, it just implies such a ridiculous subjectivism. Yeah, because how how could they ever speak out against like 
white supremacist ever again. You know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of atheists, leftists, especially. And I, I, look, I'm no fan of white supremacists. You know, I think those guys are morons, but I think there's about five of them in the country. It's not as big of a problem as, as like right. the left will make it out. But they, they would not be able to uh, rail against uh, white supremacy anymore, you know, because that's that's a collective group that has, has come up with their own kind of morality and they've agreed on it and they think that's the right way. So what right would the, the atheist who, who takes that position, what right do they have to tell the white nationalists or, or right. the white supremacists that they're wrong. All, all Nazi, it would be Nazi is different. Exactly. What's wrong with t- torturing and killing innocent people because of their race if the culture comes together and agrees mm-hmm. that it's true? So basically that's such an easy argument to to deflate. Yeah. But the, the atheist has no other places he can turn. Mm-hmm. It's either social agreement or biology. Those are the only places you have to turn to root and, and ground morality in reality. Yeah. So – if you take away the idea of God, mm-hmm. there is no foundation in reality for objective, mind, opinion, independent, mm-hmm. moral values and duties that are universal, timeless, and binding on all people. Right. You cannot get there. So if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties cannot possibly exist. That's right. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Yes. <laughs> we do certainly know that there are some things that are definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. And if people disagree with that, like torturing and killing innocent children, that's because there's something in them that's broken. Yeah, it doesn't mean morality is subjective. No, they're 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 outliers. They right. they're uh, if anything, they're proving the rule because they're going against it, and there's such a, a disgust towards it. Right. Well, from there's the a difference rest. between morality being universal and morality being objective. Yeah. So not everyone will come together and agree upon what constitutes evil. That doesn't mean that there is no objective answer. That's right. So. Just because a person who's physically blind or physically disabled is colorblind mm-hmm. and looks at an apple and thinks it's gray, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the apple doesn't actually have a color. Exactly. Right? That doesn't mean that if someone has their senses on their fingers damaged and they can't feel anything, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there's no texture. Yeah. Right? So people like sociopaths and psychopaths who have a broken moral system, that doesn't negate objective moral values and duties any more than someone who's colorblind would negate the reality that objects in the world that God created have actual color and that they reflect a, a certain light spectrum mm-hmm. compared to other objects. So objective moral values and duties do exist. But if God didn't exist, they couldn't exist. Right. So the only possible explanation we have for being able to call anything good, kind of good, evil, mm-hmm. even black and white, mm-hmm. to say something's kind of in a gray area implies objective moral values and duties. Right. Because you're, you're, you're comparing it between two extremes. You're comparing it between two extremes, mm-hmm. but you're trying to measure it up to a standard. There's a standard, right. and you don't know where it fits in regard to that standard. Mm-hmm. So people will say, well, the fact that cult- cultures differ from each other on what constitutes good or evil, I would say they don't. Mm-hmm. I would say every single culture in history fundamentally, it's fundamentally basically, agrees yeah. on loyalty, mm-hmm. respect, justice, courage. Mm-hmm. They will... Yeah, there's no culture that like venerates the weak among them, you know. And I'm not talking no. about like physical disabilities, no, no. just just the, the like the morally just weak. Right. And now they will differ about what constitutes those things. Yeah, yeah. Moral semantics. Yeah, we even have that in our culture right now. I mean, there's a lot of the like the snowflake generation that sure. that, that is seen as a strength today, right. which it's not. But right. So moral values and duties without without the existence of God, that they don't exist. Yeah. But they do exist. 
therefore God exists. Mm-hmm. This is a logically airtight argument. It's called the moral argument for God. I would encourage people to look up uh, Dr. William Lane Craig on this Absolutely. moral argument or Dr. Frank Turek as well because that's, that's, that's the fifth way I would address the, the probabilistic problem of evil is, to, is go through the answers we already looked at and then at the end of it be like, Actually, evil proves God. Yeah. Evil proves there's an objective barometer mm-hmm. touching morality. Mm-hmm. What is what is that rooted in? What's its foundation in reality? Pick 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 a pick your poison. Right. <laughs> you got you got nature and biology, or you got social agreement. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two games in town. Mm-hmm. Both of them don't establish any kind of objective moral system there's major philosophical problems with each in which case okay the only way you can justify objective moral claims including the god of the bible is evil Mm -hmm. okay well you're saying yahweh fails to live up to a moral standard Mm -hmm. that you think he ought to abide by right what is the ontological anchor point Mm -hmm. of morality in your worldview that Yahweh failed to failed to live up to. Yeah, and they have no answer. It's instant crickets. Yeah, because because they, they they haven't really thought about it. No, because we think about what constitutes good and what constitutes evil. We don't think about what its ultimate rootedness in being is. Right. In the in reality is. So I think evil, the presence of evil. If someone said that's evil and God wouldn't allow, evil proves God. Yeah. Any any objective moral value and duty that exists is evident, direct proof of evidence of God. So that, there's that. And then I would also say, as well, touching the emotional problem, mm-hmm. um, that that's more of like a pastoral issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Oh, no. Uh, give me one second. Okay. It, it turned off. I think the card ran out. We can continue and just use that. Okay. Okay. Well, we, we can just we can just continue and I'll just cut to this one. Okay, that's what it's for, so it's right. not it's fine. Okay, yeah, and then I would say like the emotional problem of evil. Um, I would reinforce with what we talked about last time: um, the promises of God uh-huh. to restore all things, to bring vengeance on the evildoer, and to you know inflict wrath upon those who do not love the truth and do not walk in righteousness, and you know the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. The promises to restore all things to their intended purpose and form in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. And we can hold fast to that, knowing that there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, where every tear will be wiped from people's eyes. And do I want to partner with the God who promises that to me? Or do I want to be opposed to him because it hurts right now? Right. Right. So I want to side with the God who's going to restore all things and make sure. Everyone, nobody gets away with anything. Mm-hmm. Every form of evil that happens mm-hmm. that could have been avoided if someone made a different choice. Mm-hmm. They're going to give an account to God for that choice. They're going to be judged eternally for that choice. Yep. So um, everything will be vindicated. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Every evil that happened to that person, whoever it is that's making the argument, is going to be vindicated by the Lord on Judgment Day. Absolutely. And he is going to make right all of your wrongs mm-hmm. that happened against you. And if you put your faith in Christ and repent of your sins, um, you can come into an eternal loving relationship with him where you will dwell in an eternal state, new heavens, new earth with Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's no pain. There's no tears. He's going to make everything new. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that's kind of the uh, emotional problem with you. That's that's one way I would t- I would take an approach for other people. It's not as easy as that, but um, I do think that I don't think the, the the presence of evil in the world is at all a problem for Christians. Natural, yeah. natural evil or moral evil. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is that just most Christians don't know how to navigate that that question. That's not a dig on anybody. Right. Uh, but that's why, you know, here here on Peck Report, we try to bring apologetics into it every now and then, like we are today, because it's really important. And just a lot of people aren't learning this in church. R- real quick, just because I promised we would talk about it uh, with just probably a couple minutes left um, with, uh, with, with what we're recording here. Right. Uh, once my computer is filled up, it'll just stop recording. So hopefully we can <laughs> get through okay. it. But, but so, so quickly, um, yeah, yeah, the, the coronavirus and the believing in the gifts. So why aren't uh, why aren't we going out there and healing people with coronavirus, Steve? You and I both believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit of healing and you know all the rest. Why 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 aren't we just? Uh, and I I already know what my answer to it to this is, and I think it's probably the same as yours. But why aren't we? If we believe in it so much, why aren't we just going out there and just healing everybody? Um. <laughs> For, the Bible never says that the gift of healing operates that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say I think it's First Corinthians twelve, or I want to say First First Corinthians twelve or First Corinthians seven. People can look it up. That the Spirit appoints gifts to the church as He wills. Mm-hmm. So it's ultimately up to the sovereign will of God to appoint a gift to a person in that moment. And I don't believe that people, you know, I don't believe that God is like. You have the gift of healing now and forever. Yeah, like it's a superpower that the person can just control anytime they want. Right. It doesn't work that no, way. No, it's something that God appoints. He appoints a gift of healing in the moment. Yeah. He appoints a gift of prophecy in the moment. Yep. And God is doing the healing. God is doing the prophesying, and the person is just the vessel for whenever God chooses. Yes. He, he's subject to the sovereign will of Lord, sovereign will of the Lord. And we can position ourselves to receive and operate in the gifts. I don't. Mm-hmm. But... We can't force the hand of God. Exactly. And faith healers, certain faith healers, they will say, well, it's always God's will to heal. You can't get there from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always his will for people to be healed. Well, in one sense, yes, it is, mm-hmm. but not on this side of heaven. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So, yes, we are promised healing, mm-hmm. but we don't see the full extent of that healing on this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. Sometimes we do. Yeah. But people say, well, you know, the fact that sickness is present and Christians have sickness and, you know, that proves that the gifts aren't operating today. And um, I would say it no more, no more proves that than when Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh and yep. he was writing his letters with very big text. Belief is that he had like a, a seeing problem. He had an eye problem, a vision problem. Um, you know, he told Timothy to take wine for his ailments. Um, Luke was a practicing physician yep. in scripture. Paul tells he, he I forget what chapter it is. I believe it's in one of the pastoral epistles. He ta- he's talking about someone that he's sending over to them, and he's ill and sick, and he's been sick. Mm-hmm. And gives him my name, a guy who's sick. So you know, doesn't Paul know that you can just walk <laughs> up to him and heal him? Like, why? You know, if God, if the gift of healing really is for today, why doesn't he just go up and lay his hands on him? And that's it, because they they understood. Paul understood that's not how it worked. Yeah. In the book of Acts, there is a special outpouring for the confirmation of the gospel. Yep. And that's why you have people walking past individuals and just their shadow lands on them and heals them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that outpouring in Acts was unique, though I do believe the gifts are meant to function uh, today. Prophecy, I was just talking with a buddy today who runs a charismatic ministry, giving me a testimony of prophecy that happened. Um, he attends a church called Village Church by Matt Chandler. Mm-hmm. Very good Bible teacher, very good uh, pastor to be listening to. And he's pretty bold with his prophesying up on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, I feel like the Lord is telling me to say this right now. I know it's very generic, but uh, one of you guys here today has neck pain, and it has to do 
something regarding your father. You got into a fight with your father and you have neck pain on the right side of your neck. And the Lord is telling me to, tell, to let you know that if you come up today at the end of service and get prayer from one of the elders, and if you forgive your father, he will heal, heal you. Hmm. And someone came up, prayed with the elder, forgive their father, got healed of neck pain. Wow. So God does still operate with this. I have a crazy testimony, like the craziest testimony ever on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I did an interview with a former yoga instructor named Mike Shreve. Oh, um, yeah. I would say go watch the last half of that interview about the last fourth or fifth of that interview where he shares this amazing testimony where the gifts of the spirit saved his life. Wow. But even he understands that healing does not operate like an automatic mechanism. So mm-hmm. it's a straw man fallacy against people who are charismatic. Yeah. Um, charismatic means charismata. That's the word in Greek used for uh, the gifts of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So to say you're charismatic believes in the, you believe in the continuation of the gifts. It doesn't mean that like we're like Donald Trump charismatic. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. And I think when people yeah. use that meme or, you know, spread that around, they're just really showing their own ignorance of what, what the gifts are or even how they operated. Even if they're cessationists, uh, the way they operated in the first century, you know, it, yeah. they weren't superpowers. The, you know, the, the apostles, they weren't superheroes. Right. It was it, it, all the glory goes to God for all that. It wasn't a power that the person had to right. wield any time he wants. Right. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we we lose that. Uh, and I think that some people fall prey to that, and that's why there's a you know I, I, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of false prophet false prophets out there because I think they do think of it as and maybe they had one word of prophecy before and it was actually true, but right. but then pride came in and right. they they started thinking of it. You know, I, I've I've heard from some charismatics that say, well, yeah, with prophecy, you know, you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but that's why you got to practice it so you can really hone into it. It's not a superpower. It's not a skill that you can learn and just practice. You know, and and it takes it, it, to think of it that way. I think takes away the blessing of what it really is when when it does happen because God God Himself is the one with the power and He's choosing to work through you. That's so much more of a blessing, so much more of an amazing thing than it would be that just, oh, I have the superpower and I can do this whenever I want. And it's all about, you know, it's all about yeah. me. It's a skill that I can develop. Or uh, yeah. Something. Yeah. It, no. it, 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 it's so much, it's so much more meaningful and powerful that the, the spirit of the living God, the, the creator of the universe would, would pick one person, you know, may, maybe, maybe it's you out there or, you know, we'll, we'll pick one person at this one time to, to work through in order to heal somebody or, or give somebody a word of prophecy or something, you know, work with that person. That That's so much more meaningful and powerful. That's how we worked with the apostles. That's how the Bible got written. You know, uh, it's not like God was up there uh, dictating, okay, first I want you to write this and then I want you to write that. You know, he, he worked with the person. Right. And uh, so there, there's there's a real relationship uh, aspect that I think is is lost in, with people like that. So yeah, yeah I, I see those two the, those two extremes with that. You know, the hyper-charismatics that think that it's a superpower and then cessationists that believe that the gifts died and they're not in operation anymore, but right. they, they don't even realize how they were when they were in operation, how, how they were utilized. So right. Yeah. yeah, they weren't automatic mechanisms. So exactly. It's a strongman argument. Absolutely. Well, uh, I want to thank all of you for being members. Thank you for joining us on Peck Report. I'm glad that I'm actually glad that uh, we were able to go a little longer than I thought in this one because there was a lot of really important stuff in there that uh, hopefully the uh, audience will be uh, helped by, and I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, but I want to thank all of you. And uh, one more time, where can people find you online? Uh, YouTube.com slash Stephen Bancars and ReasonsForJesus.com. And I'm on social media too if you're on Instagram or whatever. Um, Facebook, just look up Stephen Bancars and I'm, I'm there. 
Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And uh, until next time, take care and God bless.